Hi, I'm Lawrence Carroll, and welcome to Question Tuesday. Okay, on Friday, the jobs report showed that U.S. hiring and workers' pay gains accelerated in April, showing signs of labor market resilience and fresh inflationary pressures in the face of economic headwinds. Non-farm payrolls increased 253,000, beating Wall Street's forecast of 185,000, and the unemployment rate fell back to a multi-decade low of 3.4%, lower than the estimate of 3.6%. So we're seeing resilience of labor demand despite growing concerns about the high interest rates, inflation, and tightening credit. On Wednesday, when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates to 5%, it hinted that might be the final hike. Fed Chair Powell said, we're no longer saying that we anticipate further increases. However, he did say we'll be driven by incoming data, meeting by meeting. So in light of the jobs report, do you think we'll see another rate hike in June? And what's your view on the economy right now? Well, I think Powell's about to make another policy error. Um, another one, I, I continuously bash Powell because I think that the Fed is consistently looking at uh, lagging and somewhat incorrect data. I mean, the really tricky part and component about this is Powell is going to stay hawkish for longer because now that we've gotten a bit of a disinflationary environment and the CPI has gone from the mid to high nines all the way down to about 5%, it probably has a little bit to go uh, lower just because of the year-over-year base effects. The interpretation of the jobs report being incredibly strong is completely false. Um, the last few months, we well, if you look back through this particular month's data, uh, the last couple of months saw drastic revisions lower. The average hourly work week, overtime that was worked, and temp staffing is crashing. Those are the three elements that actually go down really significantly before you start to lay people off. So average hours worked are not increasing anymore. Temp staffing is not increasing. They're actually decelerating, and they are decelerating rapidly. And one of the reasons that the unemployment rate continues to stay relatively strong in the face of all these metrics is that the IRS has changed the rules around 1099 reporting. A couple of years ago, if you were making $20,000 a year from somebody, that was like the limit and the threshold in which you had to receive a 1099. Now it's $600. So you have all of this new reporting that's going on, and it looks like people are, quote unquote, entering the workforce, and they're not. Um, this is just people who are receiving 1099s and now have to report this information from various activities. So Powell's probably going to hike rates again into this, and I think that we are on the precipice with these banking issues of seeing a more accelerated slowdown into this. So this is going to be his third or fourth policy error. The guy continues to make them. The only thing that I think is going to make him backpedal on this, because it just seems like he's so stubborn and so entwined with this lagging data, is if there's a lot of political influence and political pressure going into a presidential election year to get him to back off on certain things. But I don't necessarily know if that's going to happen. So could we see another rate hike? If the inflation data is hawkish, yeah, because the jobs data hasn't really cooled yet. And I do think that that's going to be another policy error. Yeah, look, I, I thought that this would be the last hike for quite some time, especially given the pressure of the banks. Uh, you know, that equates to about one and a half percent in real hikes, maybe 1.4 percent. So you're looking at a Fed funds rate, really, you know, five and a quarter, if you add one even, right, six and a quarter right now, uh, that, that's pretty damn high. But I, I agree. I think they're looking at these job numbers and, uh, you know, maybe they will make another error. I'm inclined to think they hold pat for now, though. That's my... I'm inclined that this might be it for a while. I think that the data changes 
Um, you know, but we'll see. We'll see. I hope you're I hope you're right because I really I think right it should be done. So we got Mike for a hike and we got Phil for State Pat, right? Oh, I wish that they'd stay pat. I just I always believe that the Fed is going to make a mistake. Okay. Well, rising interest rates have been one of the big factors behind the turmoil in the banking sector. And on Thursday, the shares of a few regional banks fell close to 90% on fares they maybe need to they may need to be taken over. And then on Friday, they rallied when the bank said they weren't going to be taken over. But as we discussed last week, here's the second question. Is this the end of the bank sector's troubles? Or should we anticipate more? Look, uh, you know, troubles like this just don't disappear overnight, right? Um, you know, these some of these banks uh, were definitely in trouble. Uh, you know, you see higher rates and, and what it's doing uh, across the spectrum. And, you know, as we said on here many times, the Fed's going to keep going until they broke, break something, they broke something, they broke some of the regional banks. Uh, some of them deserved it, others did not. I mean, God, when you look at the trading and some of these things and what's going on, uh, this is one of the oldest tricks in the book. You know, Jesse Livermore, who wrote uh, Reminiscences of a Stock, uh, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator uh, in, in the early uh, 20s. Um, you know, these are basically short raids where, you know, if you look at a bank's balance sheets, especially some of the smaller regionals, if you look at their commercial base, you know, you make a few phone calls. If the stock looks weak, you get the, the largest customers uh, to pull their deposits. Stock goes down, banks got to issue more paper. They fail to meet their net capital requirements. Next thing you know, they're raising more money, more depositors leave, bonds get marked to market. And, you know, there you have a First Republic type of scenario, which JP Morgan got a great buy on a, on a pretty damn good brand that unfortunately, you know, was a victim of really a short rate by some of these hedge funds. So that does happen. Uh, I think you have to look at the quality money center banks right now. You know, if you look at the big names that are out there, uh, selling at you know one times tangible book value. Once this is out of the way, you know you got to remember bank bank stocks, especially the, the majors, money centers have priced in a recession. This is a known known. They're managed incredibly well. They've gone through rate hikes, rate cuts. You know, great recessions. They've had to recapitalize. The money center banks are in great shape. They're trading on on you know about one times forward book value. That's very cheap. I can see that going to one and a half times. Uh, when? I don't know. The storm's going to take a while to get out of here. Uh, you have to have a very strong stomach. Would I dabble in the regionals here? The high quality ones, certainly. The high, high quality ones, certainly. The money center banks are cheap. Yields are plenty. Uh, you got to give it some time and it's going to take time. But once that tide does change, uh, yeah, you could see tremendous moves uh, to the upside. My my one fear would be the commercial real estate market. And hey, you even see it, as we mentioned last week on Tuesday with you know, the JP Morgan First Republic, uh, you know, takeout is that look at the commercial real estate, especially in a city like New York. And, you know, we all know real, real estate's very demographic, ge geographical rather. Uh, but, you, you know, you see on every street a Chase or a, or a First Republic. That's going to truncate tremendously. What kind of pressures that put on the commercial loan market? Again, more downward pressure, especially in these large areas. That's where you have to be careful for the regionals. What type of commercial real estate exposures out there? What's it resetting at? Obviously, resetting at higher rates, you know, to, to Mike's and your earlier point. Uh, and that's uh, that's happening. So, um, you know, I, I think that there is value to be had in the large money center banks. Uh, and but it will take some time. And certainly these storms take a few years to, to sort out. 
One of the most challenging parts about this that I see is like two separate problems, right? We lit, you, one of the problems is you're seeing a massive capital flight out of bank deposits, right? Powell just hiked rates, and we're talking about him hiking rates again next month. So this is going to only cause more capital outflows from the banks, put more distress on them. So this is why I just sit here and think this guy is completely oblivious and checked out to actually what's going on beneath the surface in the banking sector, and they refuse to do anything about it. So that's an underlying problem. And the second thing is, I mean, if you're a big bank, and like last week, we talked about how there would have to be more bank mergers. It's got to happen between some of the regional banks and not a big bank taking over a distressed bank. Because if you're one of the big banks right now, and the FDIC is going to continue to take over some of the distressed banks, guarantee the losses and gift wrap you the assets and just give them to you for a sweetheart type of deal, why in the world would you actually take in or step in before the bank goes under and absorb that risk? Great point. You're going to wait. You're going to get a sweetheart deal. You're going to get the FDIC to backstop the deposits, you know, and you're picking up assets on the cheap. And look at some of the asset management divisions these guys are getting in wealth management. It's uh, accretive to earnings right away, especially at JPM. That was a terrific deal. Yeah, that's so why. Yeah, that, that's why I continue to say we need another solution for this, and it just isn't appearing as of yet. That's the problem. So I do. I, I completely agree with you. You hit every nail, and the commercial problem is still there. I mean, your answer was spot on. And so you buy these. You know, you buy the equity, or you buy the bonds, getting great yields on these bonds, getting good dividends on the equity, and you sit there and wait. And you know, investing is about long-term placing monies. And then harvesting, right? And this is this is your planting season right now. So plant the seeds, let it grow. Okay, guys, thanks. That was great. And now we have a special greeting from Focus Wealth's operation manager, Allie Gannon. Allie, how are you? Great. How are you all doing? Good. Great. All right. Well, today um, we have the third anniversary of Two Question Tuesday. Wow, thank you. So from our team here at Focus Wealth Management, we just want to wish a happy anniversary. Thanks. That's great. It's hard and to believe we've been that, doing that for three years. <laughs> with that, we have a very important question this week uh, for you, Phil. Uh, what do you think has been the biggest story over the past three years? Well, I mean, look, definitely COVID, right? I mean, this show came, uh, we, we put it out uh, during the COVID times. We wanted all of our client base you know, to, to know what we're thinking and to, to get out there and make sure that you know our latest thinking as the markets became very volatile. And then we like this format because it, it lets you know what we're thinking on a weekly basis. But I mean, God, the biggest story in this time period has got to be COVID uh, and the ramifications that we're still dealing with today, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about higher interest rates because of uh, the glut of liquidity the Fed put out there during that time period. Uh, but yeah, I would think that that's uh, definitely the, the biggest story and the ramifications and how, thank God, this is all behind us, right? And no more uh, pandemic phase and, you know, uh, things are moving on, but we're still dealing with a lot of these ramifications and the world's changed uh, over that event. Mike, what, what do you think? Well, I mean, the regional bank problem is obviously due to a long tail after effect of COVID too. So this is yeah. something that's definitely going to be there. And the jobs but, numbers, right? And everything's... Yeah, all these changes that have happened on the government level with the reporting of everything. And I mean, I almost want to say the inflation numbers because they've been stickier for longer since this has all happened throughout the dynamic of it. But 
It's weird because we haven't really talked about it as much, but I think that the biggest story in the after effect of COVID is how short and volatile all of these cycles have become. But that's also as a result of COVID as well. And I mean, and you know, it was, it was headed there anyway, right? Like we always talked about, you know, money became you know, moved so quickly today, right? And so ferociously. And so, you know, the volatility, I think we've said this on the show since it started, the volatility that uncles of mine might have seen on Wall Street, you know, 30 years ago uh, is now, you know, a, a two year, every two year type of an event. And uh, I think that that, you know, that really sped up during that time, to your point. Yeah. And I mean, the the answer obviously has to be COVID because we wouldn't even still be doing this if it weren't for COVID. So <laughs> that's the only reason we started doing this. And, we and just- everything, everything stems from that. Inflation stems from COVID. Rate increases stem from COVID. Supply chains. The... Uh, the rate, um, what else is going on here? The banks' problems, the bonds, everything is reaction to what happened during COVID. Yeah, even though the World Health Organization has finally said that it's no longer a pandemic, it's not a problem anymore, it's still like the economic effects that are caused by what has happened and what transpired afterwards. We're still yeah, dealing ripples, with that. The ripples last a long time. Yeah, it, it was the vast liquidity that was inserted, right? And I got to tell you, you know, I know that it is uh, the Fed's job and the government's job to backstop, you know, major events like that. Uh, but we went too heavy and, and too far with this one. And, you know, it was an experiment. Uh, and I, I think that it was a little bit too much. Uh, I, I don't think I know it was a little bit too much, the response to this. Um, it was too great. And it probably would have been better had the response been more tapered um, and it could have been more gradual. But, you know, that's that that was this experiment this time, and we'll see what a policy response is like to the next one. And I hope there's not a next one because this has been enough for a lifetime. <laughs> Agreed. But it's been great doing the show. Thank you, Allie. Uh, you know, we come out here every week and we show you what we're thinking internally. And, you know, we we have the same uh, manner of thought and, and the same long-term thinking but we just want to open up the books and show you what we're thinking on a daily basis. So thanks well, for watching us. And yeah, that. obviously, thanks to everybody who tunes in as well. I mean, I know of a couple of people that watch this pretty much religiously every week. And obviously, we wouldn't continue to do this in this capacity if we weren't getting so many views of this and so, such positive feedback as a result of this. So thank you to everybody for making this an actual thing. And it's, and it's fun. We have fun doing it. So thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah. Well, happy anniversary, thank you, Phil, Mike. And thanks for letting me be a part of it. And if you'd like to submit a question, send it to our email address, which is question at twoquestiontuesday.com, and we will be back next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.